Welcome <laughs> to Yelling at the Screen. <laughs> I'm your host, Jack. <laughs> I'm your host, Caleb. <laughs> What's that strange noise I'm hearing? Doctor, doctor, help. <laughs> they set off the the laughing gas in the in, in Six <laughs> Underground, and ever since, Colin hasn't been able to stop laughing. <laughs> you fools. <laughs> you absolute... Oh no, I broke something. Fools. Just wait till the end of this episode, my friends. Oh man, Colin Just already teasing. Wait. <laughs> teasing hard. It's <laughs> just gonna be two hours of Colin laughing and just wait for the end. <laughs> just you wait. No, I'm just kidding, man. It's all gonna be okay. Don't worry. I don't have a one hell of a. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Today, what are we talking about today? We are covering Michael Bay's 2019 film with Netflix, Six Underground. Now, normally at this point. We would kind of introduce our initial thoughts on the film, but since this is our first time as a podcast to ever talk about Mr. Michael Bay, I figured we'd actually start with a quick little opening regarding some of the Michael Bay films you guys have seen and what you generally think of his catalog of his films. You know, what are your general thoughts on his filmography? Highs, lows, do you like them, do you dislike them? Colin, Caleb, give me a little bit about where you guys were at with Michael Bay before you watched Six Underground. I've seen Transformers. I've seen... Um, Which Transformers films have you seen, Colin? You need to be more specific or else I'm got No, I'm just kidding, Colin. You, you do your thing, uh, Colin. There's you only do... one. Uh, Jack... Actually, <clears throat> Jack... Um, uh, th- there's only one film uh, that's just called Transformers. <clears throat> and I've seen that one. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> Wait, you haven't seen any of the sequels, Colin? I have not. Colin will live longer than me for that. <laughs> Putting it on the record. <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen One is a rough hour. <laughs> So, Jack, I've seen all three Transformers. I haven't seen The Last Night. I don't... That came out in 17. I didn't bother to go see it. I think by that point, I was a little over Michael Bay. <laughs> But that being said, I did see in 2016, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of, of Benghazi, starring Ooh. the creator of A Quiet Place, Ooh. Jim Krasinski. Ooh. <laughs> um, Jim from The Office? Yeah. With the power of Jim Face and Michael Bay, nothing could stop. No. <laughs> yeah, for me, I've seen, I've seen The Rock... I've seen Pain and Gain. I've seen Transformers 1 through 4, not 5. I'm with Caleb on that. I didn't, I didn't get around to seeing it. And then I've also seen The Island with Ian McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. And I think that's... I haven't seen any of the Bad Boys movies. I've never seen Armageddon all the way through. Same. And then I've seen like parts of Pearl Harbor, but not all of it. Oh, boy. Let's see. I've seen Transformers. I've seen. Oh wow! (laughs) 
seen Transformers. <laughs> we're, we're just talking about his directing movies, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, well, you don't have to worry about his Turtles movies. Oh, here's directors. another one. Uh, Six Underground. Y'all ever heard of that one? No, I haven't. Yeah. What's what's that one about? Dude, it's <laughs> this rad film where fucking Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Wait, isn't isn't Dave Franco in that one? Called? Dude, he is, but I don't want to spoil what happens to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, why don't we go ahead and move on into discussion about Six Underground? Because this was a film that none of us had seen before. This was all our first time watching it. So, Caleb, why don't you start us off with first impressions of Michael Bay's Six Underground? Jeez, a first impression? How how does one share a first impression of this movie? <laughs> uh, I can use sounds. I, I want to hear your sounds for your impression. Well, I was just going to make a fart noise, but that's not going to be... <laughs> We've ex- we, the viewers have come to expect highbrow comedy from this podcast. So you know what, viewers, I'm not going to give you a fart noise. What I will give you is the actual sounds I made during multiple scenes in this movie, which were, hmm, huh? Uh, but, hmm, <laughs> it, er, ugh. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, maybe I can simplify this opening question up a little bit. So my goal with this film was, the last three films I picked were Once Upon a Time in the West, King of New York, and Akira. All of which I gave five stars, and a cu- two of those you guys both gave five stars too. Actually, I don't know if it was all five stars, but there were a lot of five stars given out. So I intentionally picked a film that I thought none of us would give five stars. Oh, Jack, what if... Five stars, that's What if I am pulling your legs and I secretly love this film? And, Colin, that's fine, because part of the reason I picked this film is I know you love Ryan Reynolds. Did your boy come through? Did he he pull a good one? Yeah, he made me laugh. All the time... Ooh, God, my farts. Every time... <laughs> oh, there's gonna be an awful lot of bodily fluids happening. Oh, so we're going on keto starting tomorrow or Tuesday or whenever. So we're trying to eat up all the carb stuff in the house, and I've oh, let's just say I ate like I'm running a marathon on Tuesday, and whoo, boy howdy, there's some wars happening in the old belly. Anyway, I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. Oh, guys. you're good. It's it's all good. We're this is a chill episode today. We're just hanging with the guys, you know, broing out watching a Michael Bay film. <laughs> drinking some cold ones. It's gonna yeah, be a good drink, time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Caleb, what are you partaking? My drink of choice tonight is a gin and tonic. <laughs> just. just <laughs> Is that what you needed to get through the movie? <laughs> Actually, I didn't drink anything while watching the movie. That uh, being yeah, said, <laughs> I was not free from distraction while watching this movie. I will say that. <laughs> that tells you anything about my first impression. <laughs> nice, nice. Amen, dude. I had a conversation with uh, our good friend Zach last night about... About... Uh, I judge movies now on my temptation 
to uh, play a phone game while <laughs> while watching the movie. Let's just say uh, played a lot of Hades during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's actually a good point, Colin, because that's one of the points of of discussion I wanted to bring up for this movie is on the last episode I talked about how I love Spotlight so much because of how it hooked me into the story and how the score helped sink my attention deeper and deeper into what was happening on screen. And I feel like the inverse happened. (laughs) I kept like it had such minimal or it had the most minimal amount of my attention and it never once gave me a reason to give more. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. I would say that some of the action scenes were pretty cool. I guess you can say what you want about Mr. Michael Bay, but the man can shoot a a driving scene. I, I don't know. The opening, like, 12 minutes of this movie were, in my opinion, pretty rad. Uh, but then he was like, oh, and then uh, let me rewind. And I was like, uh, hmm. <laughs> Never a good thing to do in a movie. The first <laughs> Never, ever. Like, if you are a aspiring movie screenwriter out there, and you feel yourself needing a way to uh, pro- provide a exposition for your characters... And you slip into this idea, and you're like, "Oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just in the first ten minutes of the film, I'll just say, whoa, look at my rad life.' Uh, I bet you're wondering how this happened to me. If you say that to yourself, stop writing the movie, <laughs> scrap the idea, start over. You've, you've gone too far into the Michael Bay writing rabbit hole. You need to get out. You need to just burn your project to the ground." Take a year off, go to the Himalayas, go meet some monks, really meditate about where you went wrong, then come back to writing again. <laughs> I like where you're going with that, Colin, because you know it didn't take me long in this film to kind of realize that the film was very much... It reminded me a lot of those really edgy, over-the-top 90s action-violent comics. All those graphic novels that were like, oh, this isn't your dad's comic. This has boobs and bullets. Get ready. This has boo. And, and this film... <laughs> the two Bs, baby. Yeah, boobs and bullets. <laughs> but, but this film very much had that vibe. And then, of course, I realized that the writers of the Deadpool movies wrote this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that, that checks out. That makes sense. That checks out. Because there were a few moments where I, I did crack, crack a... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, between Ryan Reynolds and the writers, in a lot of ways, this is kind of like, oh, the Deadpool team needs to take a little Deadpool break. Let's work with Michael Bay. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've released them from their dungeons to uh, for for their six hours every two weeks, and this is what they did with their free time. Yeah, and I think yeah. there's an argument to be made that, and I haven't really gone back through with a you know nitpicky comb to check out Bay's filmography, but Bay's kind of one of those guys who. You know, I'm sure he works on scripts and does the role of script supervisor, but a lot of times he kind of has other people work on his scripts. Transformers 2, Rise of the Fallen or whatever it's called, is infamous for the fact that it was kind of created during the writer's strike, which is why it's such a mess of a script. And actually, oh, looking on Letterboxd, I don't even see that Bay's credited with any writing roles, so I don't even know if he's written any of his films, but 
that's just me doing bad homework, bad pr- preparation. Hey now, hey, he has one writer credit. It's a video short called Colin James, Keep On Loving Me Baby, from the year 1990. Look at Colin doing his facts. Very nice, very nice. No, I'm just on IMDb. This stuff is a little easier to find there. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, but I, I kind of, I think there's definitely, this is a perfect film for this podcast in that my kind of thesis statement for this film is that I don't necessarily think this is a bad film, but I definitely don't think this is a good script. Oh, okay. One of the, one of my discussion questions actually hit right on this, and I what I what I what I said was, uh, <clears throat> what is the storyboarding on this film? Like, what is it? What does it look like? I want to see it. I like where you're going with that, Colin, and I think Caleb has some good comments to make there, too. Because I, I know we've talked about this back during the relaunch episodes, but I really wasn't a huge fan of Deadpool. So there's honestly a part yeah. of me that's kind of like, oh, you know, if I would have known the Deadpool guys wrote this film, I might not even have picked it for the podcast. Which is kind of funny, because I kind of enjoyed this film. I had a good time with it. I liked it. Yeah, by no means that I, like hate this movie it doesn't there's not enough in it for me to hate there's nothing that i have attached to i'm never watching it again (laughs) it's just a movie i've seen now it almost sounds like colin you would kind of almost describe it as harmless in a way oh yeah something you could put on (laughs) in the background not have to pay attention to and no one will pay attention to it because it's just it's the saltine cracker of movies. Very plain. <laughs> no one's going to bat an eye if you put those out at a party. Well, Jack, I think the word choice harmless is a little <laughs> oh, Lord, inaccurate for this movie. <laughs> yeah, Caleb, I want to hear your thoughts on this Collins storyboard screenwriting question. What did you think of the film? Tell us a little bit about your he's gonna He's going to whip out, like... Ooh, this movie was actually incredibly racist because, uh... (laughs) Okay, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) This movie uh, is incredibly offensive to people who drink coffee because... (laughs) Oh, we can definitely talk about Bay as a provocateur because I think there is a lot to his filmography that is very much in your face and very, like, non-PC. But before we do that, Caleb, I want to hear you talk a little bit about your reaction to this film in regards to its story and kind of what the film was going for, whether or not you were a fan or not. Because it it sounds like, to you, some of the comments you've made, this kind of sounded like it was a chore to get through. (laughs) Yeah, it honestly was. And I think to give a little bit more insight for y'all what it was like for me to watch this, you know, Jack, you said that, you know, the script is a mess, but you think so, some of the filming techniques were actually kind of interesting and, in, and engaging in a lot of ways. That well, was I think I said that experience. off mic, maybe before we were recording. Well, you just mentioned beforehand that you that you liked the script, but you but the filming or that you didn't like the script, but the filming was, you know, pretty, pretty good. Or there's some there's some interesting things going on with it. That wasn't the case for me. <laughs> I tried watch like give like paying attention, like vi- like actually visually watching this, and I'd get through a few scenes and then I'm like I have to look away for a little bit. <laughs> <And just> listen. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Like, it's so... I think some of the scene composition, the filming technique choices, like, it just... All these things he did back-to-back just were not easy to look at. And for most of the runtime, I felt like things were just kind of happening in the movie. And that was about (laughs) it. (laughs) Wow. I def... So... You know that last, the last, the last scene, uh, the last action scene in the movie where they had to, and see, here's the thing, like, it's like, oh, we have to go do this one last thing and to overthrow the emperor or the dictator or whatever he is. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they like drop him to the rioters or whatever. The entirety of that scene, I was like, what are they doing? Where, who, what's going on? What's, what's happening? I was like looking at my watch, you know, just like this. Cause I always, y'all know me. I always wear a watch and hold it up and look at some, to my face. And I say, man, this movie should have been over like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> like how is, how is this still going on? How did they have time to jam in a, a, a character redemption arc where Ryan Reynolds learns to love again? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember where he's like, no, Thor, we gotta leave him. Dude, I don't know what the deal is, but Thor, you gotta get your shit together, dude. You're always being left behind, and then Ryan Reynolds gotta <laughs> storm out somewhere and save you. Look, I don't necessarily think that uh, Thor is necessarily an incompetent person, because I enjoyed all the scenes he was in, you know, where he's doing all his hardcore parkour. Awesome. Loved it. But somehow, the dice always rolled bad for him. He rolled a nat one every <laughs> every chance he got, and he failed in the most epic way possible. Or I guess failed in the most successful way possible. Oh, for the guy with the highest athletic stats. stats yeah. The little unluckiest. <laughs> exactly. I will attempt to jump across this uh, 10-foot gap. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I kind of actually, I like where Khan's going to four, because I was going to save this to the end before we rated it, but honestly, I think I'm going to throw it in here now, because I want to go back to my whole thesis statement about this film, about how not a bad movie, but definitely not a good script. For me, I think the biggest issue with this film can be kind of summarized by the beat-for-beat-for-beat for beat for beat occurrence of these three adjacent scenes, because what you get in the last act of this movie is you get a literal coup d'etat happening in a fictional country where the dictator's in his caravan of vans and they're going through, the civilians are protesting, attacking them, and you, the audience, on Netflix, have to watch a dictator say, hey, get rid of these guys, and then watch his airships fly in and watch literal planes shoot these people down. <laughs> and it's like, wow, like I'm watching that happen. That's insane. And then the next scene you see is something out of a video game. Ryan Reynolds has these magnets and shooting people across a boat. And you're like, this is insane. This direction is over the top. This is wild. What a set piece. And then the third scene you get is Four's getting beat up. He rolled his nat one. He's in trouble. And Ryan Reynolds' character (laughs) one has his emotional core moment. He says, I'm going to be the good dad of the group. I'm going to be the family man. Where are you, Four? I'm going to save you. Where are you, Four? And after these two scenes of really over-the-top direction and lots of violence and chaos... You get the most boring direction ever, as it's just Ryan Reynolds going around a boat till he finds the guy and shoots him. 
And I think these three scenes back to back to back kind of show both what's great about this film and what kind of sucks about this film is it gets you for a second. You're like, wow, this is really over the top. This is wild. This is crazy. And then it can't really nail or land some of the major beats it needs to go for in regards to some of the character context. Oh, yeah, dude. This movie is high, high energy, and it it occasionally feels the need to be a movie and not like a stunt show, which mm, is what mm. it is. It makes me want to shake it and be like, stop that. You're not good at it. Stop it. Go back. <laughs> go back to blowing stuff up. Go back to the fight scenes. Stop it. Stop. No, those two characters... You, those two don't need to sleep together. No. Hey, movie, stop that. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about it. It's like, you just can't help yourself, can you? Just make a stunt show. That's what you are. <sighs> I also was going to say something else, and now I forgot. I got too worked up about the stunt show. <sighs> Could we... <laughs> Yeah, we, we can we can pause. That is the that is the weirdest thing that's ever. I was just about to suggest it too. Oh my gosh! Like he, Caleb froze literally. <laughs> Uh, I was going to get my laptop charger. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like kind of where Colin's going with this. This whole idea of... Uh, we're back after technical issues, by the way. <laughs> but I like <laughs> where Colin's going with this. This idea of, uh, stop trying to be a movie. Just blow crap up. Because I agree with Colin. That opening 20-minute car chase, that was wild. And it was just so over-the-top and ridiculous and stupid. And there's slow-mo and explosions and nuns flipping off the camera. And jokes, left, right, and center. I loved it, it It's man. very much an introduction that says, this is what this movie's about, here's the tone, get ready to vomit, this is going to be as abrasive as hell. And I was doing a little bit of reading up on that opening sequence. I believe it took them almost two months to shoot. They were really in Florence, Italy. They were really driving around those landmarks. Incredible. And Michael Bay was like, you know, somehow I got permission to drive around 600-year-old monuments that we could have destroyed. <laughs> exactly, dude. And what I want to say, because I think Caleb's going to bring up some good kind of counterpoints, kind of a good rebuttal here in a bit, but what I think is really cool about that opening sequence and a lot of the action scenes in this film is there are so many angles and camera placements and shots and the rapid-fire cutting and editing means that they had to do so much as far as staging these scenes. I don't say this to sound hyperbolic. I really think this is if not accurate, kind of lowballing it, I bet there was at least 200 different camera placements for that opening car chase alone. Oh, <clears throat> almost certainly. Because they, they don't just show you inside of the car. They show other cars blowing up. They show the people getting hit. It's so violent and hectic and frantic. It is intense. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I know people love, like, MCU movies or the John Wick movies and they love it when you do the whole Spielberg wonder and you're following Black Panther being everybody up in a bar but there is something almost cathartic about watching nine different cuts in the span of five seconds over all these various forms of action it's 
It's exhilarating, and it's very uncomfortable, and I kind of like that abrasive style about Bay's direction. I guess I can, I can, I can get on board with that. Because there, there were shining moments in this movie where I, where I smiled, where I said, man, good for you, Michael Bay, you seem to be doing something right. But the rest of it, man, when it was trying to be a movie, very unimpressive. Does anyone agree? <laughs> Caleb, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I don't know that I... Yeah, I don't know that I'm as gung-ho about... Well, I'll start with this. So, my introduction to Michael Bay was with the original Transformers when I was a little kid. And at that age, like, the over-the-top action sequences and the crazy explosions happening all over the place. Now, granted, they're definitely fewer in Transformers than there are in Six Underground, I would say. For sure. But I think I liked... I think it worked better in Transformers than that than that over-the-top action and all the explosions than they work in Six Underground. And, you know, we talk about the length of the movie. We mentioned that earlier, Colin, and how, like, you know, it should have been 30 minutes shorter or something. Honestly, the the intro... Like, I, I timed it when they cut back to, like, when Ryan Reynolds' narration cuts back to, all right, let's go back to the present or whenever they get back to what, what he started saying at the very beginning of the movie. Like, it's 43 minutes of an introduction to what's going to happen in this movie. That is a unnecessarily long intro. And in our Too Lazy segment, I'm going to talk about a movie that did something similar but in a shorter amount of time and it made for a more impactful remainder of the film. I'm not going to spoil that yet, but I'm, I'm excited about that. Now, going back to what Jack said, I don't know. I, I just don't like the, the like it's car, car chases are fun, but this isn't some of the best, you know, car chase scenes that I think I've seen. So like I, I don't know. I'm not as invested in what what Michael Bay is doing in Six Underground, and that largely has to do with just his style here. Like I, it's it was very disorienting. Like I said earlier, I, had a, I have a hard time, or I had a hard time really watching this and giving it my attention. And it's just a lot of these edits and cuts just like didn't like they were. I didn't like it. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know how, how how better to specify what that experience was like for me. On the flip side of that, I think the reason I like this style of filmmaking so much is because it kind of demands that you, the viewer, has to take a moment of self-reflection and say, like, man, I hate this, or man, I love this. And it's very much that dynamic, showy, you know, formal control of what's going on with the cuts and the camera placement. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the someone out there can be like, oh, look at all these Dutch angles. This is ridiculous. But from another perspective, there's a lot of viewers who are just going to put this on from Netflix who don't even know what a Dutch angle is. And I think films like Six Underground almost kind of feed into the idea that you can learn a little bit more about the overstimulation that comes from the visual impact of something like this. And I don't think a lot of films really hit that 
sweet spot the way Six Underground does. But but I like where Caleb's going with that didn't do it for me. It seemed a bit much. It made me want to take a break from the movie. You describe it as a sweet spot. I don't describe that as a sweet spot. I don't you describe that's it not, as a slap to the face. That's not what the words right? I would use. <laughs> a slap to the face. Yeah. I think Bay is doing something interesting, though, and he does this a lot with the coloring or the lighting that he has mm. on his sets. It's almost like they're being filmed during like the golden hour of the day. I don't know. Do y'all get that sense from a lot of his scenes? That checks out. I, I can... I can vouch for that. I understand what you're saying. And and that aesthetic gives the movie this very like out of this world feel. Like this isn't reality, but these are human beings. It's it's live action. So it's like this is reality. <laughs> I really dig that in Transformers and I don't know quite how I feel about the aesthetic that they're using that aesthetic here. But I don't dislike it. Yeah, I like where you're going with that, Caleb. And I might actually use that as a transition to talk a little bit more about the world building in this film and the script. There was world building in this exactly. Film. There you go. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. But I want to talk that country. Kind of about... You know that country with that dictator who has a brother. You don't know who has what a brother who's about, locked dude? up in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> no, but Caleb. I, I, Keep up. There are some interesting things going on here with the underlining kind of ideological themes. And I say interesting in that they're messy as hell. <laughs> this is not exactly some type of sociology 101, you know, time to learn about geopolitical conflicts <laughs> type of movie. You're not really going to this film for educational purposes. But it's kind of like how I was saying earlier. This is very much a film where a billionaire fakes his death creates his own team of mercenaries to lead an uprising coup d'etat in a fictional third world country. It's kind of a, it's one of those things that's so ridiculous and so strange and definitely in a very morally gray area as far as the ethics behind it. And I think Colin, he might not have directly said this, but I think he was kind of hinting at it. It's this weird area of, oh, of course this is all here to set up these big explosions and action set pieces. But when you really dig into the writing and world and characters behind this, it falls in that weird area of being just total nonsense, but also kind of something really messed up in a weird, you know, kind of that edgy's 90s comic way I was talking about earlier. You're right, man. You've described it perfectly. Oh, I was just going to say, like, think about it, like, you get this crazy big action scene, and then Ryan Reynolds, of course, rips out someone's eyeball. But like, oh yeah, we're going to open up a phone with this real quick. Here's the eyeball. And it's just one of those things where, Caleb, you hit on earlier about the non-linearity of all explanation and how kind of over-the-top and messy and confusing it gets. It's really just in-your-face for a mixture of shock value, but also like high-octane, here-we-go energy. And it just it, it never really works. Because it kind of hits at things, but never in a fulfilling enough way to make you really care about the world or the characters. Exactly. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it's for for a lot of those reasons that I don't think it's a, that that film style works. On the note of the characters, I want to kind of take a break from talking about film production and world building and ideology. And I kind of want to just get your random thoughts real quick. So here's a question I have for the two of you, and I'll answer it too. Who's your favorite and least favorite member of the Six Underground Squad? 
It's definitely four. Four is the favorite. All of that running, man. Ooh, but Dave Franco. Mm. Yeah. In the brief, <laughs> in the 12 minutes or whatever he was on screen. Okay, Loki. I liked it. Wait, I'm going to cut you off real quick, Colin. I was shocked when they killed off Dave Franco that early. I was like, what? I was not ready. I was, did not see that coming. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. I was like, Dave <laughs> Franco, he's one of the only people who I know who they are. Yeah. Like, they... You know what I mean? He's yeah, gotta be around for I, a while. I held nope. out hope False. that <laughs> it would that he would come back somehow. Like I was like, he's got to come back. That was one of the things that kept me going to, through the movie. <laughs> like Dave Franco is like it's called Six Underground. Right. And I know there's six of them throughout the whole film, but six has got to be a prominent member on screen of this movie if they're gonna call it Six Underground. <laughs> and, but and here's the other deal, like if. Right. If he did come back, then it would have just been the plot of now you see me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Connor for that for, for for that point. That Starring that our boy funny. Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have just been now you see me. Incredible. Okay, speaking of now you see me, because both films have Melanie Laurent or however you say her name. I really liked her a lot as number two. She's normally in kind of more dramatic type roles. And here she's very much the action heroine playing the Ice Queen. I really had a good time with her. I thought she was a pretty good action heroine. I, I Obviously, this is not the type of film to create new you know, action stars. <laughs> but I thought she was great. I had a good time with her. Whether or not she was my favorite, eh, up for debate. Because I agree with Colin. I think four is really cool. I... I I'm a sucker for parkour. Par four. Uh, uh. <laughs> par four. Oh my god. I'd have to agree though, Jack. I I think four is number one for me <laughs> in terms of ranking. <laughs> four is number one. No, four is number four, Caleb. Don't get too. Uh, no, he's my number one, Jack. Uh, who's your least favorite? Because I gotta go with number three. Which one's number, number three? Which one's the three? Three's is he the, the man who visited his mom? Oh, you didn't like that guy? I didn't like three. I always felt like they were trying to push for the whole, oh, you know, I care about my family and I'm trying to make up for... I think he was a little bit too much. They were trying to add some emotional beats and some depth and it was just... It kind of just made the film all the more... Ah, it was yeah, trying yeah, to be a movie. <laughs> what did you say, Caleb? <laughs> So it was trying to be a movie. Yeah, exactly. It's trying, trying to be a story. It's trying to be a movie, dude. What a dumb thing. Yeah, <laughs> why would you do that? Why would you do that in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> why would you try to be a movie in this movie? Yeah, dude. I'm telling you, stick to Six Flags, Michael Bay. Stick to those action like Cirque du Soleil style shows where stuff blows up. I bet you do gangbusters in Vegas, man. Come on. Don't make any more movies. Fireworks, explosions, spy espionage, Vegas. They, you could just call it Bay. <laughs> well, and, and I'm make, not going to go on a tangent here because Colin hasn't seen this film yet. But it almost reminds me of Tenet and how a few t episodes ago I was talking about the more Tenet was trying to pull at the emotional strings with Elizabeth Debicki's character's child, the more I kind of lost interest in some of the pathos the film was going for. I, I think Six Underground definitely falls into a lot of that as well. I think the only emotional string it really needs to go for is Seven getting onto one about, hey, this is your family, man, you need to care. And sure, the film doesn't really go anywhere with that, 
But I think that's all they really needed in regards to some type of emotional undercurrent. I don't, I don't necessarily think they need all the interrelationships between the members. Because you can have that in small moments. Look at the ending of this film when four and five are just mountain climbing, chilling, and having a good time. That's, that's kind of a cute little moment. Plus, Loki 5 is Woman Crush Wednesday, and I really thought that actress was really attractive. I'm just going to talk about that real quick. So, yeah, there's that too. um, Hey, Daisy, (laughs) when did you get. (laughs) No, it's all good. I I showed Daisy Fellowship of the Ring. Well, Colin, you were there, and so were you, Caleb. We watched Fellowship of the Ring not long ago, our first time watching it, and Aragorn came on screen, and she was like, Daddy? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah. Every woman in the room uh, was like, Daddy. Shout out to Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> avid listener of the Ugh. podcast. Right. What a man. Yeah, I wish Jack he was I'd in this to... movie. Oh, that would have made this movie a lot <laughs> What were you going to say, Caleb? No, like, so they tried to do, they like, they actually tried to be a movie and give you that emotional relational dynamic when seven reveals his name and then four does and and ryan reynolds is like what the heck guys this wasn't the deal and they kind of built it up as if like that was going to have some kind of consequence because of how it was introduced at the beginning of the movie but after the reveal of the names nothing else happens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with it <laughs> it just kind of throws and, it out there does it yeah and jack i can kind of see you arguing that like you know it doesn't that it, they don't need to do that because of what they're trying to do here but then why bring it up anyway like why tell each other your names and make because caleb <laughs> because they have to become a team have you have you <laughs> not seen the fast and the furious movies dude <laughs> Listen, but like, ima- imagine this movie instead of instead of seven being whoever he was. Imagine they shelled out the the Deadpool meta writers. They shelled out the big bucks for our big bald Groot man, Vin Diesel. And just imagine Vin Diesel giving Ryan Reynolds a pep talk about Finley. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> No, and I, I think I think Caleb is right in regards to the oh they pull up this big emotional moment and they don't really go anywhere with it. I I think you're hitting on something right there, and this is very much the type of film where I can talk about how I like what Bay's doing direction wise, but I can't talk really positively about the script. And I know we kind of hit on some of the pathological levels of that. One, it's low-hanging fruit. It's easy to do. But but even the logistics of the film kind of don't make sense when you think about it. For example, oh, Ryan Reynolds needs a driver. Six is this cool kid driver. Here we go. Oh, he's dead now. Oh, now six need or now Ryan Reynolds Uh-oh. needs to hire a sniper. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, of course our next heist needs a sniper. Yeah, but what about a driver, dude? And then later in the movie, three is like, oh, I'm not as good as six was. I don't know why I'm giving him like a big dumb guy accent when he had a when he had a big dumb Spanish guy accent Ugh. in the movie or Italian was he Spanish or Italian? Hey, he speaking Spanish, of three, right? you two didn't answer my original. This this episode's all crazy like a Michael Bay film. <laughs> We're jumping all over the place. You two didn't answer my original question about your least favorite members. I can't decide between 
three and one. What? <laughs> one? You didn't like one? You didn't like Call Ryan me. Reynolds? Come on, dude. He was the only part of the movie that I found. I think I didn't like him because it was written by the Deadpool guys. Now, now that you bring that up, Jack. <laughs> Dang. He was too Deadpool-y? This whole movie, the jokes were way too Deadpool-y. <laughs> Deadpool-y, baby. Colin, how about you? Who's your least favorite member of the team? It was. It had to have been one of the girls. I mean, like... It had to be. <laughs> right? Like, they're just Don't very you underdeveloped. Five, Colin. Don't you they're say They're just five. underdeveloped in Michael Bay. Oh, first Wednesday, Colin. <laughs> did, did you like Megan Fox in Transformers? Of course you didn't. She's hot. That's all she is. I like Megan Fox. She had an arc in that movie. Her dad was in prison for doing stuff with cars, and then here she is helping aliens that look like cars. There's There's something there. I mean... There's a whole Lindsay Ellis video about that. Yeah, we could spend more time on Transformers, and I think the Transformers script is a lot better than the Six Underground script. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of agree with you there. That's that's fair. Let's let's go back to Ryan Reynolds real quick, because I, I I like where you were going with that, because I'm not as hung up on Reynolds as Colin and a lot of people are. I think he's a good actor, but I don't necessarily think he's someone I'm like, oh, Ryan Reynolds is in this movie. I gotta go see it. I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. He's one of those guys who. He generally does a good job. He gets some laughs out. He's attractive. He's cool. He's chill. And he's Blake Lively's husband. So if you can impress Blake Lively, you know, you're, you're doing something right. What, what what did you guys think of Ryan Reynolds in this? Were you guys fans? Did you not like his performance? Was it really the writing kind of lowered the quality? Yeah, it was the writing. It was the writing, dude. Ryan Reynolds, I, I think, can carry something by himself, given the right writing, but... He he can't. Yeah, he he's a lot better than this, for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's phoning it in for a paycheck here, but it is very much oh, no. one of those like, oh yeah, my, my Deadpool so. writer friends are on this. He wasn't phoning it in, he was doing somebody a favor. <laughs> you know? Rather than giving, you know, ten percent like Cully McCulkin in Home Alone Two, he's giving like seventy percent. Like, oh, man, you know, my buddy Carl, he wrote this movie. I already produced it for him, I guess. Okay, fine. You know what I mean? Look at your screen, Colin. What's up with my screen? <laughs> You'll know it when you see it. There's a bottle in the screen? Are you looking at the Skype thing? Yes. <laughs> Look at Caleb. Oh, <laughs> 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 You're like, what do you mean? Look at my freaking fan. That's look at the screen. <laughs> God dang. Oh, and he's gone again, dude. Oh, wow. man. Poor Caleb. Yeah, one quick thing I kind of want to. We're back after more technical difficulties. <laughs> but one kind of thing I want to say about Ryan Reynolds is I do really like this idea that here's Michael Bay, one of the biggest American filmmakers in the world. And he's supposed to make a movie of Netflix, not a superhero movie, not based off some other IP that already exists. He has to make an original film. And what does he do to, with his team? What do they create to match the grand scale of a Michael Bay movie? Oh yeah, we're going to have some tech billionaire fake his death so he can overthrow a, help overthrow a third world country because he doesn't think the actual institutions of the world can fix evil, only he and his fellow mercenaries can. It's just very not even, not even me with my billions can fix it. Yeah, it's just it's one, it's one of those things that 
it's basically what if Batman wasn't Batman and just doing like, you know, what if Batman watched the scene mercenary Iron Man stuff? Yeah, what if yeah. Batman watched the scene Iron Man where Iron Man flies into the village and just blows everyone up and said, "I can do that." Come on, <laughs> that's kind of what the movie is. I think three even calls him Batman at one point. I think she does, or I think he does. <laughs> Of course, three does. He makes every reference, and that's what's interesting about the film is the film is very much quoting movies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but the film is set in the modern day world, even though there's a fictional (laughs) country they're they're attacking and fighting. It's it's very weird. It's very interesting. It's very messy, and I think messy is kind of the word of the day with this film. And whether or not you're into this film kind of goes along those lines. Because Caleb, I very much get the vibe that (laughs) you definitely were not into this film. Oh, uh, no. Not even a little bit. It sounds like Colin like this more than once upon a time in the West, so I'll, I'll give yes. myself a pat on the back there, though. At the very least, it was it's more entertaining. <laughs> oh, wow. I have to disagree. Once upon a time in the West is... Oh, I agree with Caleb, but I'm not going to argue. Much at the end of the day... Well, no, it is a better movie. <laughs> don't, don't get me yeah. wrong. Like, but I enjoyed this movie more. <laughs> he's gone. Oh, wait, no, he's not. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were gone again. No, I'm still okay. here. I'm still here. A uh, little inside joke How for funny those that would who be. are uh, <laughs> not recording with us. Poor Caleb. Yeah, every once in a while, my my spirit likes to leave, yeah. and then it comes back after like five minutes. So yeah, dude. Bear, yeah, you have to bear dude, with and, us. And the craziest thing is, it, yeah. it, his spirit always returns to him right around the time his laptop gets finished rebooting. It's crazy. What yeah, are the chances? It's, it's crazy, yeah. <laughs> Caleb, I'll, I'll, I want to share a quick hot take with you real quick, if that's okay. Ooh. Oh, that's good, because I myself... Yeah, have- let's go the hot take hour. And and I, like I said, I don't want to yeah. talk too much about Tenet, because Colin hasn't seen it, but I think I liked Six Underground more than Tenet. Oh, wow. That's actually more of a hot take than my take. Oh, now I feel bad. I went first. <laughs> I should have had you gone first. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your hot take, my friend? So, I definitely don't want to leave this discussion just being the guy that's like, oh, like, this is bad. This is messy. Like, the script, the, 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 you know, the, the film bad. Yeah. I want to actually, like, share something that I thought was super interesting to me and something that I actually enjoyed watching. And that was, one, doing the, like, magnetism um, action scenes on the boat at the end. I actually thought that that visual effect was much more interesting to watch than Nolan's um, time reversal mechanism that he used in Tenet. Even though that the the magnetism had f- much fewer screen time than the time reversal did in Tenet. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to agree with you there, Caleb. It's the magnets are so wild because one thing I thought was so funny about the movie is one is like, oh, you know, when I was younger, I had this brilliant idea for magnets and it made me super rich. And we cut to a flashback of him as a little kindergartner or whatever yeah. <laughs> in his class presenting the saying, magnets. Saying, this is going to make me very, very rich. <laughs> but then, of course, what does horny old Michael Bay do? He cuts to his his female classmates cheering him on like wow he's so cool like and it's and it's implied that he that that 
the like the thing that made Ryan Reynolds a billionaire was that he made the technology that makes cell phone vibration possible. Did I understand that correct? That, that's I don't uh, yeah I don't know Dude, I can't even they, remember. They brought that up in the movie. I honestly I didn't catch that. Okay. <laughs> That shows you how invested I was. Yeah, it was during the the part where he was like, "This is how I became a million or a billionaire." I know that that's a scene, and I watched that, but I don't remember him explaining. <laughs> okay, that's fair. His story with it. I'm not saying that it happened, or or the, like that's <laughs> the, that's exactly word for word what was said. But I don't know. As getting rich schemes go, I feel like that's. Not the worst one I've ever encountered in a film before, so good for them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, that's my hot take. I, I don't have hot takes. I had a movie. thought, it's but pretty, it just left my bland. head. Where was I going with that? Uh, oh, well, uh, yeah. I just... Hello? Uh, Jack's thought? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? I was also looking at my notes, and I saw that I made the note that I love the idea that at Seven's funeral they talk about how Seven's grandpa is a Tuskegee Airman fighting the Nazis, and then his cousin like they make a joke about Coco and his cousin crying during Coco. Yeah, it's just and, such and, a then, and then Ryan like, Reynolds goes, "It's an emotional film." That, that kind of that scene I think sums up the movie. This idea that. The grandson of a Tuskegee Airman has to fake his own death to become a super sniper in the super team taking taking out a third world country. And then right after they go through this, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, here's a Coco reference for you. <laughs> oh, here's a Coco reference. I, I do, I mean, I want to, we're kind of 50 plus minute mark, whatever we're at. Who, who God knows. I, I, I do think that this is a weird film because it is very much a film I am willing to defend but only certain aspects of the film, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think it's very much a film that I am both pleased and not surprised that someone like Colin likes it more than a Sergio Leone film, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's fair. I guess. I suppose you're right, Jack. It's also fun because this film is such a complete 180 from Spotlight, a which we covered last time. You know, Colin brought up the good point about Spotlight and this whole idea that Spotlight is almost staged like a play and how they do the framing and the shot reverse shots. And then this film, you know, you get 12 different cuts every 10 seconds or whatever. <laughs> True. Uh. Oh, also, I'm going to go through my notes now. One thing I wanted to say, one of the best kills I've ever seen in a movie, when they're in Vegas killing the generals and that one general's trying to pop his zit and just a bullet flies. Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. That was such a good, like... 16-year-olds will love this shit type of moment, you know? Oh, oh for sure. Trying to see... Man, I was simping hard for five in this movie. Man, these notes are messy. Yikes. Just like the movie. <laughs> Caleb, how about you? Do you have any other thoughts? I like where you're going to Tenet in the whole technology bit. Yeah, I don't have any other thoughts before we get into our like wrap-up final thoughts. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, okay. I think I've said my piece about this film too. Yeah, I've, I've, I, there's, no, yeah, but, well, mm, you know, like the sounds I made during the movie. 
Yeah, I'm glad this was a good change of pace for the Yats crew for sure. And I'm glad I brought it forward based off of, you know, some of the highest praise we were singing for Akira and King of New York. But I, I, I doubt I'll pick any more Michael Bay films for the pod if that <laughs> makes you sleep better at night, gentlemen. <laughs> it won't. Nah, man, it, I'd be fine if you picked, like, Transformers or something. Like, this one is... Oh, my gosh. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way. This is how I'll help you understand that that point I just made. The first Transformers movie is, to me, what Secret of the Ooze is to Colin. I watched Transformers so much as a kid. Like, it was one of my go-tos. Nice. Yeah, I might do a quick, not necessarily Bay ranking, but I was talking to Mr. G the other night, and I really do think I can divide Bay's films up into the bottom tier and top tier. You know, these are the ones I think are bad, and then here are the films that I think are good. I would say Six Underground is in the good list, but I would say there's better Bay films, including the first Transformers. I think The Rock is obviously a better film with Sean Connery and Nick Cage. And then, honestly, I think the 2012-2013 film Pain and Gain with Mark Wahlberg and The Rock, and I think Anthony Mackie, who plays the Falcon in the MCU movies, is in that. I think Pain and Gain is kind of one of the underwrite, uh, not underrated, <laughs> excuse me, underrated crime thrillers of the past decade. I really like Pain and Gain a lot. And if you're someone who's on the fence about Six Underground, if you get a chance, check out Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. I think it's a solid film. Okay. Pain and Gain. Marky Wahlberg. Marky Mark. Does he sing? Does he rap? You'll have to wait. You have to check it out, Colin. Honestly, I would recommend Pain and Gain. I would do an episode on Pain and Gain. I think Caleb would like that one a lot more. I would honestly do an episode on 13 Hours. Like, 13 oh, Hours right. I haven't seen that a one. lot I better than to, I expected. I need to check that one out. You know, before we move on to ratings, I do think it's funny. Even though I can't really defend Six Underground a lot, I like it, but I don't love it. Can't really defend it. The script is a total mess. This film definitely satisfies that crazy part of my brain that I think Akira hit a lot on that wants to see a lot of, like, crazy destruction. And for that, I am very pleased I watched this, and I'm finally glad I got around to sitting down and checking it out and sharing it with the Yats crew. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. What's it called? We'll go back What's... to four-hour epics and foreign films on my... No, I'm just kidding, Colin, don't you? <laughs> would you Would you consider this film destruction porn? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Hundo yeah. percent? There's like 50 <laughs> explosions in the first 10 minutes. That's true. Poor Dave That's Franco true. and his upper body. Poor everyone that dies in this movie. Dude, so ways. many innocent people died in this movie. Yes. Bruh. And they're all on screen for the viewer to I know. I watch. And you know what? I admired this movie for having the balls to answer the question that the Avengers films don't have the balls for. Where? What mm. happens to all those normal-ass people on the ground during this explosive <laughs> thing, during the alien invasion? You're telling me. That no one <laughs> died in event in the first Avengers movie. Tony Stark, you are right. We need the big robot thing to defend Earth, bro. I'm just saying. Who pays for all those buildings? Shout who out to plays, James Spader. Who pays for all those cars? Who pays out the life insurance policy on all of these people that Ryan Reynolds killed in the car, man? Guys, this is what I actually liked about 
Spider-Man Homecoming is how it subtly tried to introduce that topic into the discussion with, with Michael Keaton's villain origin story. But that's a topic for a different day. <laughs> I, I will say I do love where you're going with that, Colin, because I have a close friend from my yeah, film club days. His name is Austin, and he's a much smarter, cooler, better at film stuff than I am. He is banned from this podcast because he hates the Star Wars prequels, but you know, we still love Austin. <laughs> and, and I think Austin would very much, he always talked about Avengers that way. Like, I know they got to keep the PG-13 movie, but of course you never see a civilian get hurt. I, I 100% agree with Colin. I, I applaud that they go for the hard R rating and just show people getting wrecked. It's it's intense. It's grotesque. It's kind of fucked up. But it's, man, I, I got to admit, it, it hits some type of reptile part of my brain that I want to see. Kind of like the Akira comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Austin, you you Austin, you don't like Attack of the Clones, so you're not on the pod. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Do you think the death count in this film would be on its uh, Wikipedia page? No, no, I don't, Colin, because I already looked at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> All right, I think we're gonna transition into ratings since we're getting closer to the hour mark. All right, gentlemen, it's time. The Yats crew has been hired for a very important heist. A oh, dangerous no. villain is on oh, his yacht. Oh, and we no. have to go onto his yacht and stop him. His goons are shooting us, attacking. Caleb, you're going to throw your magnet bomb and send several DVDs flying off the walls of this yacht into the soldiers. <laughs> you see copies of Zodiac, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the Avengers you. films, 13 going on to 30. How many oh of these five God. DVDs are flying oh. into the henchmen? Dude, I'm okay. Oh yeah, boy. I'm only I'm only throwing one of these oh, discs. Oh this movie is Eesh. horribly worse than Bright. Will Smith and Bright said, "Wait a Fairy minute. lives don't matter today." No, but Michael Bay in this film said, "Lives don't matter today." <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, what a zinger! <laughs> Caleb, Caleb they need to you put that on the poster. This is worse <laughs> than Bright. Oh, for sure, it's worse than it's one of the worst movies of all time. And this is this will be the lowest rated movie on my letterbox page. Wow, you gotta make Caleb watch Savage, dude. What is Savage? Or Savage is. This Oliver Stone movie Colin hates. It's, it's it's got Ryan Reynolds' wife in it, Miss Blake Lively. It's so it does. Oh, interesting. And she well, anyways, she gets enough screwed. about savages. We got a mission. The Yats crew has to stop the villain. So you know, Caleb only shot one DVD at the bad guy. Yeah, I didn't do anything to help. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It happens. You get that good zinger about no. <laughs> anyways, yeah. so we take out the bodyguards. We get to the front of the ship. There he is, the criminal mastermind. Colin, you got to take him on. It's Mark Ruffalo. He's the bad yeah. guy in charge of this project. And he says, I'm getting out of here. And as he's getting on his jet ski to run away, he hits a button and a mini fridge opens up. And it's like Austin Powers. Five mini-me's of Smart Hulk come out. They look like Smart Hulk, but they're three feet tall. And they come at you. And you think, I can take these five Hulks out. Maybe Colin and Caleb, Jack and Caleb can help. But I can take all five of these Smart Hulk mini-me's out. How many of those mini-me Smart Hulks are you taking out, Colin? I see this as an absolute win. (laughs) (laughs) There's someone Uh, at home, this is their first episode listening to this, us, and they're like, what in the world is this rating system? Dude, (laughs) 
I'm going to be able to take out two and one half of those mini-me's. And for those of you keeping score, yes, I did rate Six Underground the same as Spotlight. <laughs> Wait, what? what's your rating, Colin? Two and a half mini-me's of Smart Hole. Okay, that's... That's a lower rating than I expected you to give this Really? Movie. I was thinking about giving it yeah. a three. All right, so the dastardly villain Mark Ruffalo got away to go tweet some more. This is bad, but what's worse <laughs> is the computer at the front, and this computer has a warning. It is going to download thousands and thousands of Muse songs into the world <laughs> so the band Muse would dominate the airwaves. Luckily, your boy Jack here knows how to do some hacking, so... Out of the 5,000, man, I'm getting crazy at the numbers here, files, or the five main files of Muse songs I have to delete, how many am I going to do on that computer? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> there were so many freaking Muse songs. Dude, there were. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I was, like, I was like, did Muse produce this movie? <laughs> were they having a like a three-for-one sale uh, on, on rights to their songs? <laughs> like. I mean, there was a part of me that just thought we should do explosions for rating, how many explode, but I'm glad I went a little overboard here. You know, I have a reputation on this podcast. I always give lower ratings than my co-host, but you know, sometimes traditions need to be broken. I'm going three out of five today. Three stars from your boy, wow. Jack. I couldn't decide if I... So, truthfully, this is a 2.75, and I had to make a decision... Do I round down? Do I round up? And I rounded down this time. <sighs> we did it, gentlemen. My goal, none of us to give it five stars. It all worked out. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> well, that's it for our feature-length discussion, our feature film discussion. Let's move on to some other films we've been watching lately. Caleb, have you seen anything that you might have liked a little bit more than Six Underground? <laughs> <laughs> Man, everything I've seen recently is better than Six Underground. What's up on the chopping block? <laughs> what, what you been watching? <laughs> so the first movie I'll talk about is a separate Netflix original. It premiered at a festival maybe back early 2020, maybe 2019. Um, but it just came out on Netflix for viewing like maybe in December, like right around the same time as Wonder Woman 1984. And that is uh, Pieces of a Woman, um, starring Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf. You've heard this of it, been Jack? all over Letterboxd recently. It's been huge. It's, yeah. It's, it's, you said it was Netflix, right? It's, it's been right? a big deal. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, how, how is it? Did you like it? I mean, you obviously liked it more than Six Underground. <laughs> oh, Absolutely, I did. And this is the movie that I mentioned earlier that I didn't give a name to. Um, that has to do with, you know, how Under Six Underground had this long intro and then it went into the main storyline of the movie. Well, like, there's something similar happening with happening with Pieces of a Woman where it does this really interesting, like, 20-ish, 20-plus minute intro, all pretty much one shot. And... Then it gets into the the like the meat of the movie. And that part is more of a the the consequence and the aftermath of that intro scene. Which I'll get to in a second. So what's the film about? So this film is about a couple 
Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf, they're pregnant or she's pregnant and she's about to go into labor and something uh, fatal happens during the labor and they lose the baby. And so it's about this couple grappling with that experience. And there's a lot of different layers going on between both of the, like both Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby, as well as Vanessa Kirby's family uh, and Shia LaBeouf's background. And she, she tried to do a at home birth and that's what that whole opening scene is, is this slow shot of her. Like they're just at home. She starts going into labor and then they get their midwife there at the house. And there's just entire, you like live this labor experience with them. And it is a fine piece of cinema. Like it is high quality art. Like it's, it is so good. So it sounds like you're going to recommend this to viewers, right? Absolutely. I, you need to be in a certain mood. Yeah. It sounds intense. Like it's been, yeah, it's pretty intense. And I want to say this. So Martin Scorsese was a producer on this. Ooh, Mm -hmm. promising. That's nice. After he viewed it, he told the director, which I don't know how to pronounce her name, but he told the director that this was not necessarily a movie as much as it is an an experience. Like you actually experience what's happening on screen in in a in a, a, a lot of ways, which I really appreciated that because it really it felt very visceral, something that I could engage with and really think about and feel. Wow, I'm looking at the cast and Benny Safdie's in it of the Safdie brothers. That's oh my gosh, guys! I I thought I was a Safdie brothers fanboy before this movie, but after watching Pieces of a Woman, like I want more scenes of him hitting the vape Ooh. and talking about <laughs> popular music and bands with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Those are some of the coolest. <laughs> like the way he's introduced too, like in some of his scenes, like he's such a funny actor. Nice. <laughs> there is almost something perfect about Shia and one of the Safdie brothers hitting the vape yeah. talking about rock and roll. <laughs> that's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, yeah. Nice. Um, well, this is pretty new, so I'm glad you're not giving yeah. too much away about it. But but any other right. thoughts you want to shout out for the film as far Oof. as you know, who um, should watch it and whatnot? Yeah, if you're like, if you had a very negative reaction to the news of FKA Twigs talking about Shia being very abusive in the in the relationship, there's a scene where he, it's too real. I'll say that. <laughs> like it's interesting. I was I was not ready to see, like with it with that news in context to see what happens on screen i was like oh my gosh i wonder how the creators feel about this now <laughs> like it's kind of awkward um dang that's okay wow yeah well definitely sounds like an intense viewing but i'm glad you shared oh, that with for us, sure thank you caleb keeping for up sure. with the new films since Colin and i never watched anything yeah new. and this one didn't quite make it into the top five of my uh 2020 rankings so Ooh. Sorry, Vanessa Kirby, you're wonderful, but 
Didn't quite do it for me. <laughs> Couldn't quite do it for you. Because I have seen this movie on a lot of top five in the twenty in twenty twenty rankings lists. Yeah, and it's a pretty it's pretty recent. Like you said, it came out yeah. around the same time as Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. So, kind right. of a last minute jumped on the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so Caleb saw pieces of woman, women, nope. woman, uh, pieces of a woman. <laughs> oh, ay ay ay! What is wrong with me today? Ba- base and how many ride pieces my... was that woman in? I'm just kidding. <laughs> how many pieces of five would you? <laughs> oh no! Why'd I say that? Uh oh. <laughs> Uh, what else you been watching, Caleb? You been watching anything else you liked? So I've seen a little bit of David Fincher. I've rewatched a couple of his films, and I've watched something that I haven't seen. Ooh. That is starring Michael Douglas and oh. John Penn in The Game. That was when Colin picked his most underrated film of the 90s. That's the one he picked, if I remember correctly. The game, baby. Colin, you're pretty hung up on this movie, aren't you? I don't hate this movie. Unlike someone, I'm assuming, Caleb. I don't hate this movie. You do hate this movie. I know you do. You're Now you're trying to be like, mm, 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 I don't hate this movie. Bruh, I read those text messages. I know what you really think. For those at home who don't know, I think Caleb sent us some messages earlier about the ending of the game. <laughs> uh, and we've all seen it, so I'll put a spoiler tag here if you want to skip ahead and you want to watch the game. But this is a movie that's 25 years old, so I mean, if you are about 25 years old, so I don't... I don't feel too bad about spoiling it or talking about the ending. Caleb, what do you think your reaction to this film? Tell us a little bit about some of your thoughts on it. Well, I don't think it's underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think it's overrated either. I think it's fine. I I think it's rated. (laughs) I think it's rated? (laughs) That is a thing No, no, I... Oh my gosh, like it was interesting. Like I had a good time watching it. Like I liked like it's very much a from the mind of David Fincher in the 90s. And I can I could tell. That being said, I preferred 7 and what he did with 7 over puzzle and the mystery of the game. I don't even know where to start. It's okay to be uh, Jack, wrong. what was your first impression of of the game? Yeah, the game is one of those films where it's not that I think the game is a bad film. It's just it didn't really leave a strong impact on me, if that makes sense. Yes. Do, do you guys remember that yes. film Game Night with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yes, Game Night is one of those films that's very much influenced by the game. And there's a part of me that's kind of like, I'm glad the game exists because I have a good time with right. Game Night. I feel the exact same way. Like that, I love Game Night. Shout out to Jesse Plemons, one of the great Waco, Texas boy right there. <laughs> he is one of the greats. I wonder if Jesse Plemons is going to listen to my outro from the 2012. <laughs> that would be iconic. Well, he's I a good singer. I'll give him some credit. No, but I, I like the game. The game is in that weird category of... Uh, 
I don't think I would give it a low rating, but I think people would be like, oh, you must hate this film because you gave it, you know, two and a half stars or whatever. And I'm kind of like, no, 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 I don't hate this film. It's just, it is one of those films I've seen twice, and I can't really tell you what I really like about it, if that makes sense. It's not that I dislike the film, but it's one of those films that it just did not leave a strong impression on me, either negatively or positively. I think it's a fine script. I think Fincher's direction is solid. But but I'm not surprised that people don't talk about this film the way they talk about Fight Club or Zodiac or The Social Network. It's just, it's a good movie. It's not one I really have a strong attachment to. It's fine. My favorite, my favorite memory of this film is watching it with our good friend Pete. And he, this is the type of guy who is very quiet. He never, he never says much to anybody, right? And the loudest decibel that I've ever heard his voice reach uh, was at the ending of this movie, and it was absolutely incredible. He got so mad at this movie <laughs> kind of like caleb did i've got the text to prove it <laughs> colin nah, is going yeah. through his phone bringing up the evidence yeah. he said your honor i've got something i want to show to the jury <laughs> <laughs> yeah listen there are some cool things that were going on at the beginning of this movie like in the first act was some of the subtle social commentary Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like, oh, like rich guy learns his lesson, <laughs> like or has he learned something through this experience? And they don't like it was awkward. Like it didn't earn the twist of spoilers of him jump, or like you know, finally jumping off the building, and then. He's right into his party at the bottom of the of the fall. Like I don't think it earned that. Like it it <laughs> it was lacking something for it to to get that point. Like I I don't know what. Maybe y'all can help. Well, I definitely think the game is one of those films that there's a good deep dive you can do into the idea of catharsis. This whole idea of oh, you want to watch a film to have a good payoff at the ending, whether it's a happy ending or a crazy ending or a wild ending or a sad ending. You want a feeling of emotional catharsis when you watch a traditional narrative-based film. And I think with the mystery style, this whole mystery Michael Douglas has to solve regarding the game, a lot of that comes down to whether or not you like the direction it takes to get to the ending and the impact it has on you. So I think... It's almost one of those films that it is more fun to talk about this film in regards to how it impacted you or why you liked it or didn't like it than it is to actually sit down and watch it. And, and I don't know, that might be a bit of a hot take. That might be a bit controversial. But but I think that's how I would kind of sum up my experience with this movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know that I had any catharsis at the end. That's not <laughs> what I would describe. <laughs> How about you, Colin? Would you describe the ending of this film cathartic? Um, yeah, not really. No, probably not. Uh, nah, probably not. It's fine. It's a good movie. Uh, it was exciting. It made me think. It made me scratch my head. I remember the context in which I first watched this film was 
I was writing a paper while everyone else was watching a movie, and uh, I stopped writing my paper to watch the movie, so that's nice. Yeah, I dig what Colin's saying. It's almost this idea of it. whether or not you found the ending satisfying, there was something in the narrative that did grab you and you were engaged with it. I enjoy this film uh, for all of those reasons. It's it's something about it. It's just a good story. Uh, it's well, it's it's suspenseful. Made me poo my pants a little. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Always something you got you got to love in a film, dude. Yeah, how much poop was in college, Colin's pants at the end? Just a little. Is the rating <laughs> system that Colin <laughs> uses. <laughs> Guys, this is the Michael Bay episode. we got to have some juvenile humor in here. I mean, gallons. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I've been fucking yeah. broken all that, dude. Uh, five gallons? Out of how many gallons? Oh, man. I, I somewhat regret that joke, but I, I don't. No, you I don't. Just, yeah. Be Bay. honest with yourself. Now, Caleb, before we move on from the game, I never think we've had you done this on the pod before, but can we get the official Caleb ranking Ooh. of Fincher's film? I know you haven't seen, like, Panic Room or Zodiac, and it's okay. I haven't seen Panic Room either, and I just watched yeah, Zodiac. I haven't seen Panic Room, Zodiac, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, nor Alien 3. So there's four I haven't seen. Of the ones you have seen, what's the least favorite to most favorite? For Caleb's. All right, I'm pulling it up. Here we go. Least favorite. Um, at the bottom, <laughs> number seven <laughs> is Fight is Fight Club. What? The '90s discussion. It was my. Yeah, it was your most overrated. Overrated yeah. film of. Dude, of the 90s. you <laughs> need to reevaluate yourself. <laughs> You need to think about what you just said. <laughs> Go to the okay. corner and think about what you said. A lot. Going back to the sword. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. Number six. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, my gosh. I always forget that's a, one of his films. Yeah. I always forget about that movie. <laughs> Number five. The Game. You like Four. The Game better than Fight Club? Yeah. You like Benjamin Button better than Fight Club? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> All right, number four, Gone Girl. Do y'all want to try to guess the rest of them? I know oh, you know. You know, Colin and I love guessing your picks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to go with. Seven at three, Mank at two, Social Network at one. That's what I think he's going to do. Colin? I'm going to agree with what Jack said, because yeah, I don't know are... enough about David Fincher, Phil. Y'all are both <laughs> right. Seven's number three, Mank's number two, and, of course, Social Network is number one. Social Network is my number one all-time favorite, so it's got to be number one on his list, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, Social Network's a classic. Great, great film. Well... Moving on from Caleb, we got to talk about some other great films. Mr. Colin, tell us a little bit about a film you watched for the first time that may be one that's climbing up your personal favorites. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you, long has it been since I could say that a film has inspired me. It has made me want to 
explore more of the universe, see more of the world, see more movies in general. It's renewed my love of film into something oh so very palatable and, and amazing, and it's a mwah, chef kiss. Perfection. Guys, I watched a movie this weekend that is better than The Dark Knight. That's better than Lawless. That's better than Fight Club. Better than Inception. Better, and I can't believe I'm saying this, better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Ladies and gentlemen, that film is 1994's Serial Mom. Congratulations, Serial Mom. You have officially become my favorite film ever made, period. That's right. You thought we were just going to talk about Michael Bay today. This is our first episode to talk about John Waters. Let's go. Bruh. Serial Mom. Where do we even begin, Jack? What's Where should we start? Well, let's begin with the really handsome and wonderful young individual who was encouraged by his spouse to show you and your wife this film. You know, who, who could... No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was all Daisy's idea. Daisy was like, I bet Catherine and Colin would love Serial Mom. And oh boy, did they love it. Woo, did job, we Daisy. love it. <laughs> so this movie is legit, legit my new favorite film of all time. It's so incredible. I can't even begin to describe to you, Caleb, why this movie is so incredible. Here's the premise. Are you prepared for the premise? I'm not prepared, but all tell right, me well, the anyway. Prem- uh, the, the premise is thus. As a matter of fact, I am going to do something that I normally don't do. I'm literally just going to read you, like, the description. She's the perfect all-American <laughs> parent, a great cook and homemaker, a devoted recycler, and a woman who will literally kill you to keep her children happy. <laughs> oh, boy! So, this move. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the uh, protagonist of this film uh, is named... Beverly Suffner, Suff, I gotta make sure I say her name right, uh, Suffner, what? She's just labeled as mom on IMDb, which is incorrect, it's Suttonfer, it's like S-U-T, doesn't matter, I'm getting caught up in the details, it's an amazing name, Sutfin, thank you, Beverly Sutfin. Caleb over there on Letterbox got to show up the Letterbox boy. Get IMBD out of here, <laughs> dude. So this lady loses her mind and uh, runs over her son's uh, really bad teacher after a PTA meeting goes wrong, uh, and she develops a lust for blood and must uh, continue to kill anybody who upsets her children. Dude, this movie has it all going on. It truly, truly does. This movie, all at the same time, it spoofs, uh, it spoofs fifties uh, sitcoms like Leave It to Beaver stuff like that, like this idyllic family thing. It spoofs that. 
the third act of this movie all of a sudden becomes a spoof of like fifties Perry Mason. Uh, yeah, courtroom yeah, dramas. Courtroom yeah. dramas, <laughs> incredible. It spoofs horror movies. It uh, it it has this huge, really strange message about the about capital punishment and the death penalty, like. Oh my God! Uh, Ted Bundy makes an appearance in this movie, and I won't tell you the context. Like the actual <laughs> Ted Bundy. I mean, I'm not gonna say. I'm just letting you know okay. that it, you know, is one of the best parts of the movie. Also, Matthew Lillard is in this movie. The it, man, the legend, the man, Mr. Matthew Lillard. A.K.A. Shaggy from the Scooby-Doo films. A.K.A. Let's go. And maybe what he would want to be remembered more for, uh, the bad guy in Scream 1. <laughs> oh, dang, yeah. I always forget about that for some reason. Dude, Ugh. Kathleen Turner plays the mom incredible acting so first of all caleb th this movie is funny i would argue that this movie would you say that it's primarily comedy jack or would you wh what am i saying this movie transcends genre it's funny that's all i'm gonna tell you god i love this it's so good yeah I i'm gonna cut in real quick if that's okay with all right you. go Let's for go. it jack serial mom is one of those films that is directed by john waters who is very much another kind of provocative member of American filmmaking. And he's made some quite crazy movies out there, like Female Trouble and Pink Flamingo, which I'm not going to recommend to Colin because the shock value is kind of high, and there's reasons those films are rated X, and they're kind of intense. But he's also made more kind of comforting films, like the original Hairspray film adaption. And I think one of the actresses from that film plays the daughter in Serial Mom. But John Waters has always been very good about commenting on certain kind of American lifestyle norms and themes. And almost like David Lynch, he likes to comment on kind of some of the messed up undertones that kind of crawl beneath suburbia. And Serial Mom does a great job of doing that, like Colin was saying with the whole commentary on your almost 50s, 60s, perfect American family. Because a lot of Serial Mom is... Kathleen Turner's main character very much appears as the perfect housewife, but there is kind of a mean streak. There's something nasty going on. She likes to mess with people and, you know, psychologically torture neighbors, and she's obsessed with serial killers, and there's something very violent under the surface that's really interesting to dig into. But the film never kind of does it in a judgmental way. It very much approaches it with a very, haha, this is weird and quirky and funny. But not to the point to where you don't feel like the characters have agency. There's a lot of love in this family. And there's a lot of love going around from character to character. And I definitely agree with Colin that the more you dive into this film, I think there's a lot going on here from the core of the family unit that is really interesting to dissect and play around with. Plus, it's just such a great dark comedy spoof of our whole obsession with you know, the whole crime drama... American serial killer murder mysteries. So there's a lot of good content here that I think is worth dissecting. Oh, absolutely. There it it like I said, man, this movie like transcends it's just it's it's perfect, Jack. I think this movie is perfect. I don't think that, that a, a a a film will ever 
capture my attention the way this movie does. If you want to talk about movies that kept my attention, my temptation to play this to play my phone game uh, was none, zero. <laughs> like as and I tried to play my phone game a couple of times and failed because I would start my Legends of Runeterra game and I would let it go because the movie just captured my attention so much absolutely incredible amazing and this film also does an excellent job of it keeps ramping up the craziness of everything just when you think they can't top the kind of gag or the set piece they're going for they do something even stranger and sillier and wilder and it's always just so dark and so over the top it's a really wonderful film i'm very very happy you were a fan of this movie colin oh oh gosh it's just so good man what, what I'm trying to think of what else like what else I can talk about in this movie that makes it so good without spoiling too much for Caleb. Yeah, I definitely think we'll put a pin on the discussion of Serial Mom because honestly, this might be one we do a full length episode on at some point. God, I hope just because so. here, here's what I'll say to the viewers, and at this point, Caleb's already left the recording because things have been <laughs> edited. We've had. <laughs> Michael Bay ruined our audio for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Daisy and I went to go hang out with Colin and Catherine Friday night. We watched this movie. Less than 24 hours later, we were back at their place. And when we walked in, they were watching the movie again. Oh, yeah. We did. I never, we never do stuff like that. Like, ever, ever. And it, it takes a special kind of movie to kind of do something like that, in my opinion. So... I would recommend Serial Mom. Very, very good. I might not be as hung up on it as Colin, but it is one of those films that I think is... It is definitely one of the most underrated pieces of 90s cinema that you definitely need to check out if you haven't. Oh, absolutely. Man, there's just... Oh, gosh. There's just so much going on with the colors, with the filming. One thing I do want to say is that... And we we might talk about it a little bit here in, a little, uh, in just a second about... Uh, so Stanley Kubrick is known for holding shots for, especially in a film like The Shining, he holds shots for a little bit too long. Like, it makes you slightly uncomfortable how long he holds those shots. And Look that's at the Colin point. foreshadowing our future discussion. And that's the I, point I like it, Colin. of, of like, he's a genius. That's why he, he painted the shot the way exactly he wanted to. And he holds those shots and keeps your attention on the stuff in those shots. And then Serial Mom comes around, <laughs> comes along, and takes the exact opposite approach where everything is beautiful. Everything in this movie is placed exactly correctly. But, but, but everything is edited. The shots they hold for a little bit not long enough they're too short oh incredible dude just just one one of the many reasons why this movie is my new favorite film absolutely hands down yeah we'll we'll definitely talk about this more in the future one final thing i'll say is john waters quite the character some great great interviews with john waters and i'm talking interviews from the past four or five years Worth checking out if you like to see a very interesting character who's one of the great American filmmakers. Oh, God. So good. 
I love this film. <laughs> All right, Caleb, you wanted to talk a little bit about another recent release, too. So we're going to move away from 1994 and come back to the modern day. Back to the present. Yeah. Just like in Six Underground when they cut back to the present. Yeah. So now you're all caught up. (laughs) Now you're all caught. Now you're wondering how I got here. (laughs) Yeah. God. Yeah. I bet you're wondering how I got here. I want to talk about this little, I guess you could call it indie project that Aubrey Plaza stars in. And I was super excited about this because after watching Colin Trevorrow's film that stars Aubrey Plaza. I was super excited to watch something that... Uh, oh, you're talking about Safety Not Guaranteed? Better. Yeah, Safety Not Guaranteed. I was yeah, 2012, yeah. Colin yeah we, I watched Safety that. Not Guaranteed. What? What did you think of Safety Not Guaranteed, Colin? Dude, I thought it was pretty good. Um, the entire time, I went back and forth on like... Oh man! Oh geez, this is gonna run really badly for this guy. Oh god! Oh man! Like I, I, I was just waiting to be sad, and uh, and it, it, he ended up being right. It ended up being real, and I liked it. I was, I was okay. Catherine and I were both like, "Oh, this movie's gonna end, and it's not gonna be real." Oh god! Oh man! But then it was, and we were okay. Yeah, Safety Not Guaranteed is one of those films where I always get my cool film nerd cred because I remember my little brother and I watched that film like less than a year after it came out before everyone knew about it, and it felt good because then Trevor would go on and make Jurassic World and then everybody knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I was You're excited to see Aubrey Plaza yeah, star in a movie that came out recently. So that's that was much-needed content for 2020. And let me tell you guys, this was a fascinating viewing. I kind of get some, like, Lynchian influence into this movie. Not completely, but it's definitely exploring the subtleties of, like, indie film projects that aren't normally talked about in like modern discussion of the indie cinema world. And I don't want to spoil anything for y'all because I want both of you to watch it. But this is a a thinker for sure. Like you're gonna have to put your your glasses on and you have to get your, get, your pen get our pad. Chin, our chin scratching hand on. Get your, yeah, get your chin scratching ready. Because I'm, I mean, I, I saw this a couple weeks ago and I'm still thinking about it. I'll say this much too. I like it more than I'm thinking of ending things. And y'all know, like, whoa, wow, how much I like coffee. Like, yeah, you, this one is, wow, that's big. Yeah. So, like, like, how would you describe this film? Because I know it's about they're in a cabin and then Aubrey Plaza is supposed to be some type of like artist or filmmaker or something who ends up staying with so, them, right? I think the best way to describe this is yes, Aubrey Plaza is a like some sort of creative that visits, you know, is escaping to to this cabin and is looking for a place to write something someplace secluded to meditate, think and and to work on her projects. The couple that she's staying with between the three of them 
it kind of turns into this game of manipulation where everyone is like saying things to try to get the upper hand in this social dynamic. And I don't want to say anything more because that was about how much I knew going into this. Okay. Interesting. And and yeah, I, the fact that you said you liked it more than I'm thinking of ending things, that's big because I'm thinking of ending things as one of those films that's kind of grown on me. I went from not really liking it to I kind of respect it more. Like, I think I like it more than Anomalisa now that time's moved on from watching it. I'm not saying I like I'm thinking of ending things less now because I saw Black Bear. I just think Black Bear as a film is superior in many ways. Now, it's challenging to compare because one is an original screenplay and one is an an adaptation. Mm -hmm. So you have to bring that into the discussion, too. But it does sound like, as far as the two films go, there were certain vibes that I think kind of fit into Caleb's aesthetic that are worth looking into discussing. Yeah, yeah, no. Definitely put this film up on your watch list. Oh, I just did. I just added to it. People who follow me on the letterbox can double-check me. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Caleb, (laughs) because we were talking about Serial Mom and how that would be a great potential future episode where we do a full-length episode on it. Do you think Black Bear kind of falls into that? That would be a good one to have an hour discussion about. Maybe. Maybe. I don't. Oh. I don't know. Like it. It might be too out there to try to spend some time talking about it. Too out there. Yeah. Would I like this movie, Caleb? The silence says it all, baby. <laughs> I'm confused because, like, I think there are elements of this movie that you will like a lot. Like, I've read some reviews that said that some of the things they do, especially in the latter half of the movie, like, it feels like they implement these sitcom-style scenarios into the story. And and some people like it, some people hate it. But I, I was a fan of it. I thought it was kind of a nice comedic relief for a film that is very heavy... You're thinking a lot. It's very mysterious and suspenseful. So I think there's some some things you might like a lot, Colin. Okay. But I think overall you might appreciate it less than than I do. Colin, if it makes you feel better, I'll probably sit down and watch this with you because this sounds like one that could be a fun one to watch together. Oh yeah. Now that you don't have COVID anymore and we can yeah. <laughs> you know go back to snuggling. I mean hanging out. Oh crap. Oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that was a rough time in Colin's life. It was only worse by by Caleb's we won't mention the S O U L movie yeah. <laughs> here on this Bruh. episode. Oh. The events Play- that shall not be named. <laughs> Caleb, you're wrong. <laughs> You're you're dead. You're dead wrong. Wow, couldn't be more wrong, my guy about soul. But Black Bear, you'll well apparently we'll have to give it a, a chance. We'll see well, how it goes. So, <laughs> and this is a very like Aubrey Plaza heavy movie, and that's another reason why I think Colin, you know, you and Catherine might really enjoy this movie is because Aubrey Plaza is a great actress. Yeah, and we in safety not guaranteed. We uh, we were like, man, like Aubrey Plaza 
isn't that flexible of an actress. Isn't that, that flexible? Isn't, dude. And safety not guaranteed. She's just she's just April. That's it. Nah, she's April. nah dude. She's she's got some range and Black Bear is like her magnum opus. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, hey, you know what? If it's her magnum opus, then I'll believe you. But I, her, Catherine and I did not see it in uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. So good for, good for, good for, anyway. <laughs> One of the best. <laughs> I won't call it a hot take because I, I don't know if how you know how to describe this. I would call this one of the best reviews of a film that was basically kicking the hornet's nest. <laughs> Do you guys remember Dirty Grandpa with uh, Robert De Niro and Zac Efron? Oh yeah, of course. No, yeah. Dirty Grandpa is the jackass one. But do you remember Bad Grandpa of Zac Efron? No, Bad Grandpa is the jackass one. Yeah. Well, what either way, my Jack, grandpa's you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh, you, Colin is right. Put that on the record. Colin was right. I was wrong. Jack, I I'm failed right you all frequently. <laughs> uh, so in Dirty Grandpa, a big subplot of that film is Robert Nero wants to have sex with Aubrey Plaza. Okay. <laughs> and one of the wildest reviews I've ever seen in my life on Letterbox was, you know, ever since those two slept together for that movie, I feel like Aubrey Plaza stole some of De Niro's acting ability and has become a better actor. <laughs> <laughs> and and wow. I don't know, like, that is kind of messed up, but also incredibly funny. <laughs> but But I do think Aubrey Plaza is one of those people who, she always surprises me. She always... I always expect April from Parks and Rec, and I always get something a little bit better. Just each time I see her in a new film, I'm kind of like, okay, I see you, Miss Plaza. You're doing good things. I guess. I don't see it, personally. I don't see it. But I'll have to look into it. I'll have to. I'll have Black <laughs> Bear. The, the, the Black Bear. All right. Well, there we go. Well, let's kind of conclude this too lazy segment with a little film. I'm not for sure how many people have heard of it. It's a film from 1980 that Colin wanted to talk about today. Uh, it's called The Shining. I don't know how many people have, by some guy named Stanley Kubrick. I, I don't know if you two have heard yeah, of it. He uh, had a very wide release when it came out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was not very popular. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Colin... Was this your first time watching The Shining, or was this a rewatch for you? No, this is a rewatch. Man, Catherine and I both just kind of realized that literally, and I'm not exaggerating this, and honestly, the only reason I wanted to talk about it was so I could say this, that every shot in The Shining, from minute zero to however long it ends up being, every single shot is a painting it's a work of art down to the angle of the food cans and the background in the kitchen down to the color pattern on the floor down to every single conceivable detail was put there on purpose by Kubrick and we I just came to that realization upon watching uh, watching it again and it's beautiful it's beautiful it's also horrifying <laughs> yeah this is one all three of us have seen i mean it's it's the shining a lot of people 
it's no secret that this is kind of one of the most iconic American horror films of all time. I, yeah, I think, and you don't have to look any further than the fact that Steven Spielberg put it into Ready Player One as a significant scene that originally wasn't that big of a scene in the book. Like, there's something important about that, the impact that it had on 80s culture and our day-to-day. Oh, yeah, I saw a tweet not too recently it was basically like, what's your biggest movie hot take? And somebody I follow on Twitter was all like, oh, all H24 films are just trying to rip off The Shining with their one perfect shot formula. <laughs> and Colin's whole thing kind of yeah. reminded me of that, which I That's thought was funny. funny. Yeah. I, I agree with Colin. As far as the cinematography and how they choose to kind of set up the shot compositions, it is absolutely stunning. And when you watch The Shining, it's very much... It's not hard to see why so many people are hung up on Kubrick and you know treat him like he's he's a god. <laughs> I think he might be. Man, I it, it I'm thinking back on it now and it's it it's it's mind blowing. It really is. It's it's a piece of cinema brilliance history, like. That's going to be one of those movies that in 100 years, 200 years, I firmly believe people are still going to be watching The Shining. And Serial Mom, obviously. Yeah, I, I will agree with Colin. I, I'm not trying to throw out more hot takes here, though we do love that here at Yelling at the Screen. I think Serial Mom is better than The Shining. <laughs> hot oh, wow. diggity damn, dude. Uh, and we all know wow. Colin does it, too, because he was talking about being this new... Here's the thing with The Shining. I think I've thrown digs at The Shining before. I like The Shining. It's definitely a good movie. Uh, Don't worry. Not. No, no, no. It's. I promise you. I like it more than Six Underground. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I've always I've never been one to think this is Kubrick's best film. Honestly, it's probably not even his top three best films. It gets it, better than that. I would say his top three, in my opinion. And, and there are. I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut yet, so I'm not going to comment on that. But, but I would say 2001 A Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon, and – oh, what is the other one? Huh. I forgot. I'm just losing <laughs> – Bay broke my brain. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is I definitely don't think it's Kubrick's best film. And I'm not trying to say that from a perspective of, oh, The Shining isn't that good because I do think The Shining is good. I think for me there are just certain things about The Shining that – it falls into that category of film that is definitely iconic and beautiful, but I don't think that always excels or emphasizes kind of the core points of the film, core points of the narrative that are really interesting. Have you guys ever heard about, uh, I almost said Spielberg. Why am I forgetting names? The author of The Shining. Why am I? He's the Stephen King. King. Yeah. Have you guys ever heard about his reaction to Kubrick's The Shining? I have not. Is he offended? I've heard a little bit about this. Yeah, he, he really doesn't like Kubrick's version. He doesn't think Kubrick did a good okay. job adapting this. Okay. okay. Doesn't, Stephen doesn't King Kubrick doesn't get an opinion on... <laughs> what, Caleb? What'd you say? Doesn't Kubrick not like his own movie or something like that? Isn't that a thing? Q- Kubrick is a weirdo. He doesn't get an opinion. <laughs> Well, and going on also, to that, that's, Stephen that's... King is a even bigger weirdo, I think, than Kubrick. Neither of them are, should be allowed to have opinions on anything that either of them have made. I don't know. I, 
I disagree, Jack. I think you're dead, dead ass wrong about this. <laughs> but I think just... for me, going back to Kubrick being a weirdo too, is I know this is something that's been talked about to death, but you know the scene where Jack Torrance is like going crazy on his wife, and it's kind of the moment where he's like, "I am crazy," <laughs> and they're in the big lobby, and she's going up the stairs, freaking out. Yeah. The, the rumor, the legend about that scene is that Kubrick made them do that that scene 90 different times, and each time he was, like, more cruel and mean and ugly and just yelling at Shelley Duvall during the whole scene. And I've just – I've met so – I've literally met people, IRL, not kidding, who have said, man, the fact that Kubrick just, like, tortured that woman on set, I admire that. I respect him. I don't know. I just find there's something to be kind of cynical and sinister, and maybe it's that weird area of – separating the artist from the art but between king not really liking the adaptation and some of those background things i think it's just one of those films that i get why people like it and i'm happy it's part of the kind of all-time great canon of great horror films because it is a great horror film i think it's a phenomenal movie but i think it's one of those films that i get that back when i watched it for the first time five years ago i was like oh this is the best horror film ever no competition no competition but I've kind of seen how myself, as a lover, fan of cinema, I've kind of seen how I've grown away from that. And I'm not trying to diss on people who love this film, because I do think there are a lot of good qualities with The Shining. But but I just, I personally think it's one of those films that the compositions are so strong, and the acting's great, the music is good. There's a lot of elements that make it a great film, but it doesn't quite hit that spot for me that a lot of my favorite films do and even some of the best of Kubrick's other works do so I just want to throw that out there not necessarily to get a reaction or cause a stir but just because I've kind of spoken negatively on The Shining before and I just thought I'd kind of you know explain that a little bit more (laughs) since we're talking about it (laughs) well you're wrong uh but you know (laughs) I love it, Jack. I, I'm I'm sorry, man. This movie, uh, I think it deserves uh, every bit of any of the praise that it gets. So, you're wrong. And it's okay. It's okay, man. It's okay to I, be wrong. I respect your forgiveness, Colin. You're a good man. Well, anyway. Caleb, any final thoughts on The Shining? Yeah, I saw this movie for the first time less than a year and a half ago. It left a pretty strong impression on me. I liked it a lot. Like, I'm on Colin's team here. I think, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Kubrick's work. I've only seen Dr. Strangelove. But The Shining is a, like, now for me, that's like classic horror. Like, when I think of horror, I'm going to think of that one. However, (laughs) and I feel like I should bring this up as a, this is one of the traditional Yats points that we need to talk about (laughs) here we go and the question is which one does caleb like better (laughs) i was just about to ask this question the shining or midsummer oh man i knew he would do this (laughs) you ready for this colin god he's gonna say midsummer oh no (laughs) (laughs) okay curious what do you what do you think based on what you know about me so I haven't seen Midsummer. I've seen Hereditary. Colin, look me in the eyes. Where are you? <laughs> the Skype eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that 
the shot. Oh, he got close to that camera. I promise you, the shining is fifty times better than Hereditary. I promise you that. Thank God. So I think Caleb's gonna pick the shining. I don't think he's gonna be a heathen. I think he's gonna be on the right side <laughs> of history here. <laughs> the right side of history. All right, drum roll, please. Moment of truth. Shining. Hey! We can all take the sweat off our brow. But I haven't finished talking. Oh my goodness, dude. Wow. Wow. Okay, good. <laughs> I was so Caleb. worried. About well, that. I was going to keep building up the, the suspense by saying The Shining is, and then complete the sentence, but y'all are right. The Shining, in my opinion, is better than Midsummer. <laughs> Nice, wow. nice. Well, that was a good way to kind of conclude to Lazy Caleb. Thank you for that. Yeah. And Colin, thank you for bringing up some great films. I know we've kind of been doing some different things on our episodes lately, so it was fun to have an extended to Lazy talk and talk about some new favorites like Black Bear and Serial Mom. And I'm hoping we end up making these the feature of our episode soon. And speaking of the core movies that are going to become feature-length discussions, <laughs> Colin... You get to pick for our next episode. All right. Are we doing it? Is it happening? Do I get to reveal to you my next pick? Oh, that's right. You were foreshadowing that it's going to be something epic. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, and it involved sharing the screen with the listeners. (laughs) Well, boys. You fools. I can't believe you've fallen for my trap. Guys, you never said which Mark Ruffalo film. You never said how much Mark Ruffalo has to be in the film. That is true, yeah. Oh, man. Right. We also made you watch a Mark Ruffalo film last time. Spotlight. All right. Let me share out my screen. Oh, no. <laughs> to, the, to the audience. I welcome you to the wheel. Oh, gosh. To what the is this? wheel, people. What the so heck is me, this? Let the me wheel. <laughs> tell you right now. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this On is the second. wheel. Uh, for those of you who can't see, which should be everyone. I have put five Mark Ruffalo films on this film. Three of them are legitimate. Uh, certainly not featuring, or excuse me, certainly not, uh, blah, 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 blah. he's not the first person on the call sheet, uh, you know, not, not, the, not the first person on the call sheet there. But those films are Shutter Island, All the King's Men, Thor Ragnarok. Ha! Guys, Thor <laughs> Ragnarok, a movie that I know for a fact that I love, and I know for a fact that Caleb is all like, no, oh, Thor Ragnarok, not a very good movie. Midsummer <laughs> is better than Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> oh, fine words, fine words. But also on this list, just to stick it to Caleb and Jack, okay. I've included two films one is called on the second day of christmas which came out (laughs) hold on which came out mark (laughs) ruffalo i believe it was 1996 the first one that he's mentioned that's amazing (laughs) oh yeah 
Mark Ruffalo was in a film called uh, The Second Night Before on the Second Day of Christmas. <laughs> it's a TV movie that oh, came out in 1997. How are we going to watch this, Colin? What the heck? I have no idea. <laughs> well, he has to spin the wheel before we even pick a... Yeah, yeah exactly. Here's Actually, the why don't we just make him pick Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, I'm cool with Thor, the Thor kids Ragnarok. Like Thor Ragnarok. Just make it, excuse me. It was, <laughs> we just, just make him pick... The next film on the wheel is Mirror, Mirror 3, The Voyeur. <laughs> What even is that, dude? <laughs> and we're spinning the wheel, baby. Okay. What's going to happen? Where will it stop? Nobody knows. Oh, my gosh. Oh! Wait, what did it land on? What did it land on? <laughs> on the second day of Christmas. <laughs> we're doing it, guys. Christmas in March. Oh. We're going rig this. Election. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you know what, guys? This was all a big joke. I'm just kidding. We're not actually going to watch on the second day of Christmas. We are, in fact, <laughs> going to watch. Colin, you were a madman. Spins the wheel. It's just the Ragnarok. Watch us. Colin spent five hours working on that wheel in Photoshop before this, just for it to be a joke. <laughs> I'm just kidding, everyone. We are going to watch Thor Ragnarok. Nice. The second Taika Waititi film we're covering that's yelling at the screen. Very nice, Colin. Very nice. Did y'all enjoy that? Was that fun for you? I had a good time. I think you educated the viewers with some of Ruffalo's history, his filmography, which was very nice of you, considering you're not a big fan of Ruffalo. Also, I'm going to give Colin a quick shout-out. He recommended we watch Zodiac the other night, and Colin and I did watch Zodiac, and I was very proud of Colin, because I thought it would be a chore for him to watch that, since Ruffalo is in that movie a lot. <laughs> I also felt bad, because we told Caleb we'd watch it with him, and then we kind of didn't. Oops. <laughs> Oops. I feel like I earned that after a lot of the past couple of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Colin said after Soul Talk, I'm gonna piss Caleb off here. Yeah. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> All right. Well, Colin, good pick. Thor Ragnarok's one of those I've wanted to revisit, and we might be doing more MCU talk in the future, because we haven't talked about MCU since our Avengers double feature. So good job, Colin. I'm I'm glad you you're bringing this up. All right, we're well, getting uh, to the big three of, of yelling at the screen. Oh, yeah. This is the first of the big three. Midsummer Arrival and Thor Ragnarok. Oh, and Serial Mom is yet to come, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it will have its due. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, gosh. I will watch that movie a thousand more times. <sighs> well, join us next time as we cover the 2017 MCU Taika Waititi film. Thor Ragnarok. Oh. We are yelling at the screen, and we appreciate you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Yes. I'm Jack. I'm Carlin. And I'm Caleb. And we are three underground after Bay took us down. (laughs) Explosion knocked us underground. (laughs) Night-night. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you, long has it been since I could say that a film has inspired me. It has made me want to explore more of the universe, see more of the world, see more movies in general. It's renewed my love of film into something oh so very palatable and amazing and it's a chef kiss perfection guys i watched a movie this weekend that is better than the dark knight that's better than lawless that's better than fight club better than inception better and i can't believe i'm saying this better than teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 the secret of the Ladies and gentlemen, that film. Jenna Rink couldn't grow up fast enough. Smile, sweetie. Don't you knock? Are you wearing a bra? You're not ready Dad, for stop a bra. taping. So on her 13th birthday. Dad, check this out. Wishing dust. She only made one wish. I hate being 13. I just want to be grown up. And she woke up 17 years later. Freaky is happening here. I slept in an apartment I've never seen before. There was a naked man in my shower and I saw his... She's got a lot of catching up to do. Repeat after me. I am Jenna Rank, Big Time Magazine Editor. I am? Eminem's on the phone. He wants a decision now. Please. Peanut. Today is, the first day. is there anything else you need from me? Actually, I need to find this guy. Matt, it's me! Jenna, why are you here? Yesterday was my 13th birthday, and today I woke up and I'm this. There's something really weird going on. One woman will discover... I like your dress. It's because I got these incredible boobs to fill it out. She's truly a kid at heart. It's 11 o'clock on a school night and I'm at a party. It's so cool. It's 11 o'clock and people are leaving. Maybe if somebody played something other than this. I mean, play whatever you want to. Not it's thriller! Revolution Studios presents... You want to know a secret? Yeah. You're the sweetest guy I've ever known. And I just float at home in a cloud. That is so romantic. Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo. 13, going on 30. Mr. Hottie behind you is totally scamming on you. Should I go talk to him? I actually came over here because I think you're really cute. So do you want to go out sometime? Uh, I'm going to take off now. What do you want to go to jail? I'm a bad guy. Man, gross. Congratulations. 13 going on 30. You have officially become my favorite film ever made, period. Congratulations.
Bruh.